All right, so Hannah's going to do our scripture reading. We're going to be in Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. Can we show Hannah some love this morning? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Romanos capítulo 8, versículos 18 hasta 25. Pues tengo por cierto que las aflicciones del tiempo presente no son comparables con la gloria venidera que en nosotros ha de manifestarse. Porque el anhelo ardiente de la creación es el aguardar la manifestación de Dios, de los hijos de Dios. Porque la creación fue sujetada a vanidad, no por su propia voluntad, sino porque, por causa de la que sujetó en esperanza. Porque también la creación misma será libertada de la esclavitud de corrupción, a la libertad gloriosa de los hijos de Dios. Porque sabemos que toda la creación gime a una, y a una está con dolores de parto hasta ahora. Y no solo ella, sino que también nosotros mismos, que tenemos las primicias del Espíritu, nosotros también gemimos dentro de nosotros mismos, esperando la adopción, la redención de nuestro cuerpo. Porque en esperanza fuimos salvos, pero la esperanza que se ve no es esperanza. Porque lo que alguno ve, ¿a qué esperarlo? Pero si esperamos lo que no vemos, con paciencia lo aguardamos. Amen. No, I did. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We are grateful to be here. We're so glad when they said, let us come to the house of the Lord and to worship you. Father, in this moment and in this hour, as I preach and teach your word, would you give me clarity of speech? Would you open the hearts of your people that they may receive the truth of the gospel, that it may transform and encourage many in the room? God, our prayer is that we will not leave here the same way that we came that we will leave looking more like Jesus than when we stepped into the door. We give our concerns, our burdens, our circumstances unto you because we know if you are for us, then who can be against us? We ask this in Jesus' name and everybody say. Amen. Extreme Makeover is an American reality TV series which premiered on ABC on December 11th, 2002. The show depicts ordinary men and women undergoing extreme makeovers involving plastic surgery, exercise regimes, hairdressing, and wardrobing. Each episode ends with the participant return to their family and friends 
showing the reaction of their loved ones who have not been allowed to see the incremental change during the participants' absence. The goal of the show is to transform them into a new person. Friends, I'd like to contend this morning that God is performing his own extreme makeover in every Christian. Make no bones about it. Friends, when God comes into our lives, he is coming to do an extreme makeover. He's not coming to just put a head on you and just to give you new clothes, but God is coming to do an all-out extreme makeover. And some of y'all said, I'm glad that he is. And I'm not contending this morning that Christianity comes with free plastic surgery, so calm down. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that, but it is as if God is performing his own plastic surgery on his own children. God comes into our lives and immediately begins his work of making us over from the inside out. I don't think God caught that. I said that he begins his work and he begins to change us from the inside out. I'm so glad that God starts on the inside and work it, work it out on the outside. He's not a God that just does work on the outside, but he does work on the inside. And if you don't believe me, you can ask Joseph. You can stop by and you can ask Moses. You can, you can ask Paul. You can ask all those biblical heroes that you consider that God is capable and able of carrying out his extreme makeover. But here's the question. God, how do you do this? How do you Perform your extreme makeover. One way we have been learning uh, about is that God indwells us with his Holy Spirit. One of the ways that God makes us over is by moving on the inside. God moves in. He doesn't rent the property. He buys the property. Oh, y'all don't know what scripture says? You've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are not your own. You belong to the Lord Jesus. God moves in on the inside and begins his work of dealing and killing indwelling sin. That's not the only way that God works to make us over. Secondly, God continues to make us over by the Holy Spirit through suffering. If you can't say amen, say ouch. Yeah, 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 yeah. God makes us over through suffering. I know you don't like it. I know it don't feel good. I know you almost didn't come to church because of it, and you didn't come to church to hear about suffering, but here it is. You're just going to have to suffer it to be so. God's plastic surgery tools are unexpected and unwanted events. Maybe you haven't had your portion of those, but you just keep on living and things that just show up at your doorstep just because you take up space here. His makeup brushes are unpleasant co-workers. Just keep looking at me. Nobody needs to know your business. It's just right here, right here. It's between me and you. I ain't going to tell on you. I ain't going to tell on you. His combs and hairbrushes are are those circumstances where you don't know where the next meal is going to come from. His scalpel is unwanted mistreatment and impression of society. And if you're like me, you wonder, God, why don't you just snap your finger and make me over? You do know that God could speak the word and you would be made over immediately. You remember this.
centurion, when Jesus was getting ready to travel to his home, the centurion stopped the Lord and he said, you ain't even got to travel. You can just speak the word and my son will be healed. Jesus spoke the word and in that moment, in that hour, the boy was healed. God, why do you got to see me through suffering? Why can't you just speak the word over my life? And so in a moment, in an instant, I will be changed. Why doesn't he go that route? The same reason mountain climbers don't take helicopters to the top of the mountain. Their ultimate purpose is conquest, not efficiency. Sure, they want to reach a goal, but they desire to do it by testing and deepening their character, discipline, and resolve. Friends, the greater the struggle, the greater the glory. The greater the struggle, the greater the glory. God ain't just after you being made over. God is after his own glory. And so God needs to do it in a way that there's without a shout, without a doubt, that this was God and not you. You know good and well if God didn't send you the struggle, the credit you would take for your own transformation. But God's going to transform you in such a way that you ain't going to be able to say, I did it. You're going to have to admit that if it had not been for the grace of God, there's no way in the world I'll be who I am today. Oh, preach that thing, Dexter Harris. I feel like preaching this morning. God could create scientists. He could create mathematicians, athletes, and musicians. But he doesn't. He creates children who take on those roles over a long process. God doesn't make us fully Christ-like the moment we're born again. He conforms us to the image of Christ gradually. You ought to be thankful for that. Just in case you're wondering why you ain't always there, God takes his time. Slowly but surely molding us into the image of his son. We see this in Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory. Our spiritual makeover takes time and it requires suffering. Believers, contrary to popular belief, contrary to the TV preaching pimps, Contrary to the health, yeah, I said it. Contrary to the health, wealth, prosperity, gospel, we are called to suffer in this life. We are not transported to heaven. Instead, suffering moves, moves in like an unwelcome roommate. It seems to attach itself to the believer like an unwelcome companion. You ever felt like, Paul, God, go take this thorn out the side of my flesh. I'm about sick and tired. You ever got sick and tired of being sick and tired? Like, God, won't you just remove it? I didn't ask suffering to move in with me. Now, hold on. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, let's get real. Because all suffering, don't, you know, ain't, you know, all the suffering we do ain't for Christ. Some of the suffering that, you know, because of me. Yeah, yeah. Some things I did on my own. I did on my own. But I'm so thankful that God is so sovereign and so graceful that he can even take my foolishness and bring it into his plan and still make that thing out to be good. I mean, I don't deserve it. I shouldn't get it, but he does it anyway. I'm so thankful that he's wise enough, that he knows enough, that he can take my foolishness. I'm talking about the foolish stuff you didn't did. 
Uh-huh. The, the stuff that people wouldn't believe you was a Christian if they knew half the stuff you did. Just go on, stay in your closet, close the door, and nobody got to know. Go on, stay in your closet, but we coming for you. But suffering seems to attach itself to us like an unwelcome companion. Theologian Jack Arnold says we can choose to suffer in three ways. Number one, we can choose to suffer, he uses this little phrase, break out. If you break out, you rebel at the suffering and go bitter and hateful and hard. Sometimes when suffering comes into our life, that unwanted suffering, sometimes we get angry. Sometimes we get frustrated. And sometimes we could become bitter and walk away from the Lord Jesus Christ. God, I thought that you loved me. God, I thought that you were there for me. Why did you allow this suffering to come in my life? I'm done with the church. I'm done with this Christianity. That's one way that we could deal with suffering. Number two, another way that he says that we can deal with suffering is break down. Some folks break down under spiritual suffering, not realizing that suffering is part of the Christian life. I just want to put a caveat here. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be emotional. I'm not saying that we can't go through pain. I'm not saying that suffering is nice and soft and comfortable, but I am telling you that you don't have to break all the way down to despair and no hope because as long as Jesus is on the throne, no matter what comes your way, you will overcome, Christian. We break down sometimes and we leave the faith. But the last way that we should approach suffering is breakthrough. God wants us by his grace, listen to me, Christian. God wants us by his grace to break through and touch the hidden springs of the life of Christ within us. Friends, there's glory that you'll never know until you go through suffering. There's things about God you'll never see unless you go through suffering. Friends, that is why sometimes when I'm going through stuff, I need some people who's been through some things to talk to me. I understand because some people just too cute with it. I need some people that can tell me that they had a round trip ticket to hell and back and can tell me that God is faithful and that he'll bring me through it. God wants us to break through the levels of his glory, to other levels of sanctification, to other levels of knowing him. The goal of your suffering is so that you may know him more fully, Christian. Well, friends, how do we break through? Without breaking out or breaking down, when sin, the world, and Satan oppresses us every day. Paul wants to help us out with this this morning. First thing Paul wants us to understand, it's a makeover, not a make forever. I'm so thankful that it's a makeover and not a make forever. I'm so glad that our suffering has an expiration date. But before Paul can talk to me about suffering, he has to qualify himself. You don't just get to just talk to me about suffering if you cannot qualify yourself. So why should we listen to Paul? Why does Paul have the right to speak about suffering? Who better to give us advice? Understand that Paul had been in God's makeover process for some time now as he's even pinning this letter. In fact, in a few years after pinning this letter, Paul would experience just how extreme God is willing to go to make us over. Paul himself would be under arrest and persecuted in Rome. If you go and drive your car over to the book of Acts and you just park right there around chapter 20, around chapter 17, chapter 20, Paul is headed to Rome knowing that they're going to kill him. You know you got to love Jesus. When you're willing, you, God told you that you're going to die, and you still going to go. 
Now, I know some of y'all want to act extra spiritual in here, but somebody told me that they were going to kill me. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. I'm on the first thing smoking far away from that place. But Paul was determined to go there. And Paul actually suffered. You see, Paul had been to hell and back. Paul had experienced that round trip ticket. I don't know about you, but it's helpful to know that he who is writing, he who is pinning, has been through God's extreme makeover process. But Paul, like any good pastor, wants to encourage God's people. And how does he encourage them? Look at the verse. I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. If you knew what was there, you would start shouting right now. You suffer now, but glory is coming. Y'all mind if I say that one more time? You suffer now, but a glory is a coming. That's how the old folks used to say, a glory is a coming. We suffer now, but the glory is coming. Paul tells us that suffering for the believer who obeys Christ is only for a season. Notice the phrase in the verse, suffering of this present time. This gives the idea that it is not forever, but for a particular season. Surely as spring and fall end, so will our suffering. The old folks used to say, this too shall come on somebody. We need to stop denying that suffering hurts. We need to stop denying that suffering is frustrating. I know, I know we try to act all holy like ain't nothing phasing us. Ah, nothing but Jesus. But when you get home, you know you be crying, right? God takes something away from you that you love. That hurts, right? You get your bank account hit enough times. Especially them NSF fees. I can't stand them. I can't wait till them days over with, right? I'm talking about the struggle when the struggle is real. Things are going to hit you from the side and you're not going to even know that they're coming and they hurt. And they make you cry and they make you fall to your knees. That doesn't mean that you don't believe in him. That just means that you're a human, man. And it's okay to cry. It's okay to struggle. It's okay. It's okay to ask for help. You ain't Superman. That ain't even a real person. That's Jesus Christ. Out here acting like an Avenger. You're not. The Bible doesn't promise that life will be comfortable. The Bible does promise that he will never leave you nor forsake you. The Bible does promise that it will never last forever. Okay, let's be real. You ever been in those circumstances where it felt like it was going to last forever? Where you felt like it'll never be an end to it? Your head spinning in every direction. You say one more thing on me, God, and I'm going to crack right down the middle. I don't know how much I can take. I don't know if I can. uh, We got some real Christians in the building that's been in situations where you felt like, God, when will this end? God, when will this be? You ain't never talked to God like that. Well, I figured y'all wasn't going to be real, so I brought some scripture with me. Here it is. 
Now, I'm telling y'all, this verse right here had me almost dying laughing because watch what he does. Watch it real close. Watch this. Psalms chapter 6, verse 2 and 4. Watch this. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I, language, heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. This brother feel this in his bones. Now, that's some heavy stuff. My, my knees hurt. My soul also is greatly troubled. You ever been troubled in your soul? Boy, can't no pill put you down when it's in your soul. Now watch this. He gets ready to go to the Lord. But you, O Lord, calls out his name. Now watch this. He stopped mid-sentence. Just cut off his praise to the Lord and say, how long? You ever been there? I worship. How long, O Lord? I'm tired of this. Kind of sense. That's how I read it. This brother stopped me and said he ain't even finished his sentence. He's like, hey, what's up? What's going on, Lord? You don't see me down here? Anybody ever been in that situation? God, you don't see me down here? I'm struggling. I'm going to church. I'm reading my Bible. I, 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 I went on a mission trip last week. I've been feeding people now. Back in the day, I deserved that, Lord. Because I remember how I found out a bunch of day. I've been doing good, God. I ain't cussed nobody out. I showed up to work on time. I turned in my own work. I don't understand why you're doing this to me, God. He stops in the middle and he says, how long, O Lord? Then he says, turn, O Lord, and deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Notice this, that in this crying, his faith remained. He cried to the one place that was actually helpful. And some of our issues, we're crying in places that cannot help us. People who cannot deliver us. Some things only God can deliver you from. Psalms 13.1. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? Y- y'all see this? How long, O oh Lord, would you, you ever felt forgotten by God? How long will you hide your face from me? How long, saint? Not very long. Not very long. Although it feels like forever. In fact, Paul said, when glory is revealed, this is where the believer is different from the unbeliever. Believers who suffer for Christ's sake will be rewarded for it one day. Those who do not know Christ have no hope when they suffer. All our suffering for the sake of Christ adds to eternal glory. There is a future reward that the refining experience of suffering is preparing us for. A future glory that only believers have to look forward to. I'd encourage you. It hasn't been revealed yet, but when it is, we will look back at this present suffering And we would declare in our souls, worth it all. Jesus was worth it all. You were worth every drop of it. Every drop of it. Pastor Freddie Haynes says this, everybody will go through something. Listen, you are either going through, coming through, or on your way through. Let me say that again. You are either going through, coming through, or you're on your way through. Make no bones about it. 
But I got a little encouragement for you this, this morning. Past week, I went out of town, as many of you know, uh, flew to Cali. Uh, me and my family took, I said, I hear you, brother, I hear you. Me and my family, we took, we took Spirit Airlines. We took, we took Spirit Airlines. I know, I know, I know. Don't judge me. I'm, don't judge me. I, I, I didn't take it because I was cheap. I took it because I was broke. That's why I took it. I didn't take it because I was cheap. I didn't have the money. I'm, I'm just a dad trying to make it. You feel me? So we get on Spirit Airlines, and let's just say, they ain't got the most comfortable seats. I ain't going to lie to you. And they ain't got the most leg room. I mean, my knees hurt. I think I aged about five years on that plane. And it ain't the most hospitable. Adam and Rick was calling his soul plane before I got up here. And wondering why I would put my family in that kind of danger. But we didn't take Spirit Airlines because it was comfortable. We took Spirit Airlines. Maybe it would get us to our destination. Friends. The church doesn't take the way of the Spirit because it's comfortable. We take the way of the Spirit because it's a guarantee to get us to our destination. We may not get there comfortable. We may not get there in peace. But glory be to God, we'll get there one way or another. Paul said, for these light momentary afflictions is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Oh, that are preached by itself. These sufferings are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. But we're not the only ones who's getting a makeover. Oh, we're not the only ones getting a makeover. We are not the only ones getting a makeover. Look at the rest of the verse. For the creation awaits with eager longing. For the revealing of the sons and God, sons of God. Now pay attention and watch closely. Paul is saying in these verses that all of God's creatures of nature are standing on tiptoes for the completion. Did you catch that, Chris? Tiptoes for the completion of all God's children. All of creation is standing on tiptoes waiting for your makeover to be done. Okay, y'all with me? I'm going to preach this thing. I did my homework. Why are they standing on tiptoes? Because upon our completion, the rest of creation will receive its full makeover. Paul used the word kittis, that which has been created. All of the non-human creation of God will also receive a full extreme makeover. Did y'all catch that? God is going to make everything new again, like back in Genesis before the fall. Feel the weight of the gospel here, okay? Because we brag about the justification, which we should. We brag about our sanctification, but we also need to brag about the renewal of creation. The gospel is heavy. Jesus' death on the cross opened the doorway for restoration, not only for your soul, but for the entire creation. Even plants and animals will get an extreme makeover. Your little puppy Ray Ray can't wait for your makeover to be over with. A poodle, woodle, whatever you call it. Well, why do animals and plants need a makeover? 
You may ask, for goodness sake, Dex, what did the birds do? What did the plants and animals do to deserve subjection to corruption, which means death and decay? Well, Paul tells us in verse 20. For the creation was subject to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pangs of childbirth until now. You see, because of man's sin, no part of nature now exists as God intended it to be, as it originally was. Creation is cursed today because of the of Adam. Adam jacked everything up. Adam messed everything up. Left when I went out of town, came back, my bananas were doing what? Decaying. I was going to give me a bowl of cereal, chop up the bag. Anybody do that? I was going to do that, right? And so get home, the bananas are through. Why? Because of Adam. And when I see him, it's going down. He better hope I'm fully sanctified. That's why I've been in the gym. So when I get up there, When Adam fell in the garden, God cursed the rest of creation. We see this. Look at it. In Genesis, and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten. Let me pause. Don't be blaming everything on your wife because of this verse, okay? Y'all need to stop doing that stuff, all right? All right? All right? Ain't cool. That's taking stuff out of context, all right? All this eisegesis is going on. See, girl right here, you don't eat you. No, you're not. And have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you. You shall not eat of it. Now watch this. Here it is. Curses the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. All of creation is decaying and deteriorating even as I preach right now. You are deteriorating. You are dying. You are decaying. When I went to the dentist and I kept giving you guys these illustrations, I'm like, my teeth are decaying. And it ain't cool. But this is the reality. But when will it end? At the final resurrection of all believers. When the curse from the earth will be lifted and we are resurrected from the grave. You do know you will be resurrected from the grave. You do know that the grave does not have the final say and in a couple of weeks, we're going to celebrate his resurrection from the grave because when he got up, we got up. And because he got up, we have hope for the future. For we know that the whole creation groaneth. This is KJV for you KJV lovers. For the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Paul personifies creation so that we can relate to its longing for God to complete. The rocks are crying out. The plants are crying out. The cats are crying out. The dogs are crying out. For God Almighty, Dexter Harris will cry out, come, Lord Jesus, come. How long, O oh Lord? How long until you redeem us? But God is acting as a husband and his bride. In Jesus' day, a husband would prepare a home for his wife to come and live in. Creation will be fit for a redeemed people. 
Plush green grass. Lovely trees. Crystal clear water. God is going to do this thing over. And I don't know about you, but I can't wait. Here's the way the revelation puts it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Good God Almighty, new heaven and new earth. We long for the completion of our extreme makeover. We long for it just as well as creation longs for it. All nature is groaning. All believers are groaning. Look at what Paul says. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Sin and its corruption, both our own and that of this world, still causes every believer to groan. And why do we groan, believer? We groan as we long for the new life that is in Christ, that is Christ in us. To fully emerge, and at last the old man will be no more. We long for the frustration of double mindedness to be laid to rest, so we groan. We groan because of the ongoing battle of these two unreconcilable powers, sin and holiness, striving in the inside of one body. Can anybody relate this morning? The frustration of holiness and sin on the inside. God, I want to be like you, but part of me want to be like the world. God, I want to love you, but part of me wants to love my sin. God, I'm so tired of being this divided man. So we groan. We long for the day of perfect holiness when we will love him with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, and with all of our souls. And with all of our strength, and that we're no longer divided. Is anybody relating to me in this room? We long because we long for the dark days to be over in a land that is not our own. Yes, we rejoice that Christ, our pillar of fire that guides us through this darkness that remains within and without. Yet we pray for the dark drop of sin to be removed from our souls in this world totally that we might shine in him through and through. Friends, we groan because we long for the rough places to be made plain. We groan because we long for the crooked way to be made straight. We groan because of the injustice that remains in the world. We groan because of the systemic sin in the world. We groan because of the oppression of the poor. We groan because of racism and the mistreatment of image bearers. We long to climb to eternity, to the higher heights of glory. But if we are honest, at times we groan because we feel like Tupac. Some things will never change. And so, friends, we groan. We groan because our enemy, the devil, threatens the ability of every soul that calls on the name of the Lord. Friends, we groan, but we have hope, we have hope, we have hope, we have hope in the midst of our groaning. Because out of the evil comes the good. Babies come forth from dark places. Plants emerge from dark places. So also the complete, unstained, without spot or wrinkle Christian emerges from the suffering toys he has been planning in. The full redemption of our bodies is coming. Paul reminds us that God has already given us a foretaste in the midst 
of our groaning. Can I preach it like I feel it? In verse 24, Paul says, who have the first fruit of the spirit. Paul, what in the world are you talking about? What does that mean? Well, you'll be glad that your pastor did his homework. The term first fruit here was used as to depict a sample of the harvest before the full harvest came. The Holy Spirit gives us a foretaste of what's to come. He gives us a taste, a right now taste. It's kind of like when my wife is cooking in the kitchen. And I can't wait for the meal to be done and she'll tear off a little piece of meat and give it to me and tell me to get on up out the kitchen. She gave me a foretaste of what's to come. Friends, that little light you're seeing in the inside of you, that's a foretaste of what's to come. That little bit of patience, and I say it a little bit, that little bit of patience you see working on the inside of you is a foretaste of what's to come. It's almost inexpressible. We see him on the inside. We see his light shining on the inside. We feel him moving on the inside. We feel him emerging up in our souls. We, we feel him down on the inside. It's, a, it's an inexpressible thing. But friends, that's a foretaste of the glory to come. We're only getting a little bit, but the day is coming when God will reveal all of his glory to us. Y'all know God got glory ain't nobody seen. God got glory ain't nobody touched. God got glory ain't nobody ever thought of. God got glory upon glory. When we are already seeing glimpses of Christ in us. When we went to Cali, uh, right before we were getting ready to leave, my friend gives me a phone call. And he says, Dex, there's been a change in plans. I'm like, oh, man, I hope it ain't too much change because I ain't got that much money. So depending on what you're saying, Dex may not be going. Maybe spirit can't even get me there. <laughs> and so they're expecting a baby boy here soon. And he says that the doc has requested that the wife stays in the hospital during the duration of you all stay. She will still be in the hospital. I said, no problem, man. We, we still coming. Don't matter. We're going to stop at the hospital and see you. And so we get up to the hospital and we, we go there. We bring food. The kids are playing and all of that. I'm seeing her in the bed. She's groaning. She's in pain. It's not fun being pregnant. I ain't never been pregnant, but I could on the outside looking in. I try to keep my mouth closed when I go in the rooms, right? I try to let them leave. And so I go up to her. I say, sister, how you doing? She said, she said, Dex, I ain't feeling good. This, this thing is kicking my butt. And then all of a sudden, tucked right up under her waist, she pulls out an ultrasound picture. Do y'all know they got them 3D ones where you can see the color of the baby and everything? Brothers, y'all will be happy. Y'all know already whether it's yours or not. I'm just messing around. <laughs> But anyway, they got, they got 3D. I mean, they, 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 saving, they saving relationships. I said, I looked at that picture. I was like, they can do it like that now? All right, cool, cool, cool. So anyway, she takes it out from up under her. She shows me the picture. And in the midst of her groaning, she starts smiling. It's a joy that rised up inside of her because, friends, that picture was hope of what was getting ready to come. And, friends, I came to tell you that God gave you a picture, and it's in, he gave you another ultrasound. And it's 66 books, and it got a picture of what's to come. And every now and again, you got to tuck it from out of your side. You got to look at it again, and you got to remind yourself that glory is a coming. And when she looked at it, 
joy sprang up. Happiness sprang up. Friends, you got to have your ultrasound with you. Some of us carry it in our back pocket. Some of us got it on our cell phones. And sometimes we got to remind ourselves that he who had begun a good work in us will bring it to completion. Friends, this is why Paul says that we have hope for our makeover to be over. But we wait in the hope for the completion of the third trimester. Some of us, we've been in Christ for quite some time now. And some of us are in the first trimester. Some of us are in the second trimester. But all of us are waiting for the third trimester. We wait and hope for the completion and full birth of our redemption. Look at verse 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For hope, for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The word hope here is ellipse, which in the believer's vocabulary means Joyful expectation. It is a certain and it's never uncertain. We see this back in chapter 5. In verse 5, we learn that our hope will never disappoint. In other words, we are not just waiting on God. We are joyfully waiting on God. Why? Because we are certain that he who has begun a good work in us will bring us to completion. We're not guessing whether he will. We're not hoping in in despair that he will. We know without a shadow of a doubt that if God says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. Now, your mama may promise you something and not do it. Your daddy may promise you something and not do it. But the book of Hebrews says there's a couple things that God cannot do, and God cannot lie. We believe that God will finish his extreme makeover. Paul explains that hope is not based on what you can see, but on what you expect to see. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? What can't we see, friends? We don't have our glorified bodies yet. We're reminded every time we look in the mirror, amen? We have not seen the new heavens and the new earth. And quite often, to be quite honest, sometimes the world looks like, look at us like complete fools for believing in it. A new body, a new heaven, and a new earth, and a God-man coming on a horse. You guys must be out of your mind. All we have is hope. But he says we wait patiently. If I can go back to my spirit airline flight that was so uncomfortable. You know, when you're getting close to your landing, you're already uncomfortable. We've been on the plane for four and a half hours. Like I said, wasn't much leg room, wasn't much space. You're 35,000 feet in the air. You're just hoping that you make it back down to the ground. And all of us, you can see people sleep, some people moaning, some people groaning because they're ready to get off of the plane. And then all of a sudden, joy came up on the plane. And the reason why joy came up on the plane is because one voice came over the microphone. Friends, this is your pilot speaking. We are starting our first descent. Put your seatbelts on, and we're getting ready to land. And when the pilot began to speak, 
the joy on the plane began to rise. Windows began to open. Sunshine came into the plane. Cell phones came out. Pictures were beginning to be taken. People began to laugh. Joy, joy filled the plane. Friends, I came to tell you that there's another pilot that speaks greater than the pilot on the plane. And if you don't mind, I want to go there with you this morning. Bethel Gary, this is your pilot speaking. The Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know that we're about 30,000 miles out. No, 20,000 miles. No, 10,000. No, 5,000 miles out. Friends, this is your pilot speaking. The day is coming when I will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet sound of God and the dead in Christ. She'll rise first. Friends, this is your pilot speaking when those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet them in the air and so shall be with the Lord forever. Friends, this is your pilot speaking, and I will wipe away every tear from your eye. And I shall, and, and there shall be death no more, and there shall be sorrow no more, and there shall be. See, see, when you hear your pilot speaking, you ought to start shouting. This is your pilot speaking. I, who have begun a good work in you, shall bring it to completion. I know that you're still going through it. I know that the drama's still in your life. I know that you're about to break down, but I want you to know that this is your pilot speaking. Friends, every now and again, you got to open up that book and you got to preach it to yourself until you hear your pilot speaking. Oh, this is your pilot speaking. Jesus came all the way from heaven so that we might have hope. But he didn't come so that we would have a dead hope. He came so that we might have a living hope. A hope that does not fail when times get hard. A hope that does not fail when the marriage doesn't work out. A hope that does not fail when there's no money in the bank account. A hope that does not fail when friends betray you. A hope that does not fail when you don't know when your next meal is coming. A hope that does not fail when all odds are stacked against you. A hope that does not fail when the storm is raging. Friends, this is your pilot speaking. I came to tell you that those who hope in me will not fail. Those who put their trust in me will not fail. Friends, we got a hope that doesn't fail when the doctor report doesn't say what you thought it would say. Friends, we got a hope that doesn't fail when your children are not acting right. We got a hope that doesn't fail even when you fail yourself. We got a hope that doesn't fail when you do what you thought you would never do. We got a hope that never fails. This hope is not like alcohol. It's not like drugs. It's not like the club. It's a hope that cannot fail. And friends, it cannot fail because God cannot fail. We got a hope rooted in the everlasting, eternal God. We got a hope rooted in the Alpha and the Omega. Can I preach it like I feel it this morning? We got a hope that is rooted in the one who says, let there be light, and light came shining forth. We got a hope that spread at the Red Sea. We got a hope that saved the three Hebrew boys. Y'all remember them, don't you? They said they were going to throw them in the fire, and they said even if he don't save us, we still rocking with God. We got a hope, friends, that never fails, even if you walk in to work tomorrow. And there's no job there. We got a hope that doesn't fail. 
And I'm telling you this morning, you're going to need a hope in this life that is rooted in the almighty God. A hope that is not anchored in things that are passing away. A hope that is anchored in things that are deteriorating. The moment's going to come where you may be on your deathbed. And the only thing that's going to give you hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't start hoping in him then when you can start hoping in him now. Friends, know him. Know him. Give your lives to this. Give your souls to this gospel that does not fail.